Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today we'll be exploring psychomagic and the art and life work of Alejandro Jodorowsky. My guest is Paul J. Leslie, who is a professor of psychology at Aiken College in Aiken, South Carolina, where he also has a private psychotherapy practice. Paul is the author of several books, including The Art of Creating a Magical Session, Key Elements for Transformation in Psychotherapy. His other books include Shadows in the Session, The Presence of the Anomalous in Psychotherapy, and Potential Not Pathology, the Transformative Psychotherapy of Milton Erickson. Welcome, Paul. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with you. And this is an unusual interview. It's not one I think that either of us planned not when you all. first arrived here in Albuquerque, but mm -hmm. we discovered to, I think, our mutual delight that we both have a passionate interest in the work of Alejandro Jodorowsky. Indeed. And I feel that he's a figure that uh, is uh, not well known enough, not just in his own field of uh, filmmaking, but I, I would even argue in culture a, as a whole, and even I'll even say in some aspects of my field of psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. Well, let, let me just begin by saying I was first exposed to his work, as I recall, in 1970, when uh, his first movie, El Topo, came out. I was uh, in Madison, Wisconsin, I believe at the time, and uh, saw the film at midnight. I think it might have been 69 even. Mm -hmm. And um, for years, for many years, in fact, probably up until the present day, if people ask me, what is your favorite movie? It's a common enough question. Mm -hmm. I would have said El Topo. Yeah. It just stood out for me above and beyond any other film I've ever seen. It is probably one of the most unique films that I've seen. The first time I saw it, I'd heard about it, and there was a time period where you couldn't get it. You couldn't see it. And somewhere someone found a download of it without subtitles. I don't, unfortunately, speak Spanish. Really? And just the imagery, uh, it, it was rather awe-inspiring. It was disturbing and beautiful at the same time. That's the only way I could, I could, yeah. I could see it. And I was like, who is this guy? Uh, and then I realized I had read something that he had written about uh, his, his psychotherapeutic work. And then this whole world just opened up as like, who is this guy? Oh my God. How, why is it that I've just now heard mm -hmm. about him? And then the, the more I watched his, his films, uh, the, the more I saw a, an evolution of this, uh, this artist who has this almost this deep knowledge of, of the, the human psyche and, um, from a surrealistic perspective, speaking to those, those deep, um, facets of our personality and kind of that evokes uh, all these different emotions in people. You, you'll notice that people either, you know, absolutely love him, despise him, or puzzled by him, or uh, think he's, you know, uh, the, the, the Messiah, whatever it is. And, and that's all 
just mm-hmm. he's he's bringing all of that out uh, through his his marvelous work. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think for me, the impression I had at, at that young age was uh, this was an authentically spiritual film. And I think it may be the first and uh, one of the few authentically spiritual films I've ever seen. And as I reflect back on it, the film has a lot of graphic violence. Right, right. All of his films do. And I, I do recall on one occasion he was interviewed about that, and, and he said, uh, you cannot discuss spirituality, you cannot portray spirituality without including the violent element. Yeah. I, and I think that is what's missing in a lot of spiritual approaches, not that we are advocating violence, but just the recognition that we all have parts of ourselves that could be violent. And a lot of times uh, it's uh, these people who are trying to do a lot of personal development and spiritual growth is to kind of almost uh, annihilate that. Whereas um, Onorowski is, is saying this is a part of us. There's a marvelous scene in uh, El Topo, I think, where they've lined up these uh, it's a Western for people who haven't seen yeah. it, a, a surrealistic Western. Uh, guys on the ground and they, their hands are tied and they go and shoot each one of them in the chest. I mean, it's very graphic. But then as the, the wound explodes, birds, real birds fly out, which we're not, where did that come from? But I realize what he's saying is that you cannot have one thing without the other. Horrible violence and the beauty of this this bird coming out, it's kind of like, how do you have a one-sided coin? You, you, mm-hmm. you can't. And he, he sees the world, at least what I'm assuming, uh, as he has to present everything. So if in, in his pictures, graphic violence, but also uh, beautiful, stirring imagery. And there are scenes in there that really move one emotionally in a beautiful way. And, and, and to me, that's what's uh, intriguing about his his work is that he's willing to acknowledge that mm-hmm. if you're on a path uh, for to become a, a better person, you have to, to to kind of seek and almost welcome in those negative, what we view as negative parts of ourselves, in order to create that wholeness. Yeah. It's very unusual that a filmmaker, a, a great film director yes, yes. and writer. Uh, would also be, uh, in effect, a psychotherapist. And in fact, one might even call him a pioneering psychotherapist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember uh, I watched some videos of him in the 80s. He, he moved to, to Paris, uh, which I think he, he may still reside mm-hmm. there. And he was doing uh, this work with people that, uh, in my field, we would call family constellation Mm-hmm. work or systemic constellation yep. and if your viewers aren't familiar with that it's where you have a large group of people who might not even know each other and someone's trying to work through an issue they have and it may be an issue with a parent or it may be a multi-generational issue and then they'll bring people up from the audience to represent those people and it's almost enacting the very problem and creating if you will solutions or making peace mm-hmm. or severing the ties to past trauma i know uh, bert hellinger is uh, widely credited of doing uh, a lot of this but i don't know the timeline because uh Odorowski was doing this way back when and what's fascinating to me is he's doing it in such a uh 
an acute awareness of each individual and where they are, and he's meeting each person where they are, and then he's bringing in alchemical references and the tarot into this constellation work that it was just so intriguing. Some of it, to be fair, I, when I initially saw it, I, I didn't know what he was doing, mm-hmm. but he has such a, 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 a depth of intuitive knowledge about people. Uh, I once referred to him as, uh, I said that he is a magician of the soul. And that's what, what it looked like to me watching him work. And I was very inspired by his work. I don't do constellation work, but uh, a lot of his, his uh, experiences uh, came into uh, what he referred to as psychomagic, mm-hmm. which is a therapeutic system that uh, he, he kind of blended with his work from uh, psychoanalysis, um, indigenous shamanism, particularly from Mexico. Uh, I found out he was inspired by uh, one of my heroes, Milton Erickson. About whom we've just done a previous right. interview. Right, exactly. And and arts, and, you know, bringing in arts and, and imagery, uh, and a lot of Jungian archetypes and all. And it, it's just fascinating. Mm-hmm. He began his career as a mime. Yes, I had read that, yeah. it's, which I can see that. He he started out in Paris. I believe he worked, uh, uh, amongst others, with Marcel Marceau. Right. And, and in fact, one of the other guests on this channel, Samuel Avital, was also a, a mime. Ah. Uh, and uh, st- worked in Paris and knew Yodorowsky back in those days. Oh, wow. Uh, we have some very interesting interviews with Avital. That must have been some interesting times. I yeah. mean, you know. Well, I'm wondering, as you're saying that, uh, so much of the imagery in uh, in his films is also physical. Mm-hmm. And and in some of, not all of his movies, but in many of his movies, he, he plays a part or yes. the lead. Yes. And as I think about the, the, we talked about violence, but there's a physicality to his uh, movies that I don't see in a lot of other films, and maybe his training as a mime, connecting the mind with the body, bringing forth that, maybe that's uh, a tie-in there. I I would think so. Uh, You know, in the interview with Avital, who, as I say, worked with him, the uh, the mind-body connection is very profound. Mm -hmm. uh, In fact, I'll link, if if people are interested, they can click in the upper right hand of their screen right now, just... uh, uh, if they want to make that connection. But there's so much more to be said about uh, Jodorowsky, his films, and uh, his psychological work. Mm-hmm. I know, for example, he studied uh, Zen Buddhism very extensively. It had a profound impact on him. Yeah. His teacher was a, a, a Zen monk uh, from Japan who ended up a long stream of uh, amazing circumstances in Mexico named Ijo Takada. And uh, it turns out uh, Takada, Ijo Takada, had uh, interacted with uh, noted psychoanalyst Eric Fromm mm-hmm. and had uh, kind of interacted with Fromm's group. Mm-hmm. And then uh, when, when Odorowski found out about him, uh, he became a disciple uh, for, for many years. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times you'll you'll see in the celebrity culture there are trends that you know they'll become spiritual by following this but then you'll see them jump to something else but uh uh Alejandro was a very serious stu- student and uh and possibly uh, one of the better uh students and and what he learned uh you just the, the uh being 
being in the moment. And that's a big thing of him, being creative without the allowing things to, to come through. I remember watching an interview with someone, and I can't remember who it is, who had done a, uh, a film with him. Uh, it said that uh, uh, Udorowski was saying, we've got to come up with a costume, a type of costume. And he's, he's pulling his hair out. We gotta, and he runs over and he just, and if you ever see his library, and he's his huge library, and he just grabs a book, pulls it down, puts the book down, opens it, and points. And he goes, that's the costume. <laughs> and the guy's like, I, how do you work with it? But he said, it ended up being the absolute perfect costume it gave it the idea to to do that because that th- zen is don't overthink be that that natural state and i think his films but also himself is tapping into that because if you have to think too much this is what i tell all the time uh when i'm teaching other therapists if you're thinking too much you've already missed it mm-hmm. and to be in that present moment i think he got a lot out of that mm-hmm. from his zen training mm-hmm. now, he's still alive yes as, as we speak he Thankfully. is making movies i believe in in paris probably yes. uh He's in his late 80s, I believe, Mm -hmm. maybe even 90 by now. Right. Uh, amazing life story. And many of his films are autobiographical. He he might even say that they're all autobiographical. Mm -hmm. I I would think. Uh, And you can, uh, making peace with the past seems to be one of the themes, accepting the dark with the light. Um, Now, the last... uh, couple of films that, that I've seen have, have literally been autobiographical, mm-hmm. although symbolic, uh, Dance of Reality mm-hmm. and uh, Endless Poetry. Mm-hmm. And uh, Endless Poetry is probably his least uh, a violent film. It's a beautiful film, but Dance of Reality shows the sometimes harsh conditions he had to grow up with. Mm-hmm. And, he uh, grew up in Chile. Uh, Yes, and family coming from Europe. Mm-hmm. And uh, interesting side note is uh, he didn't know till uh, later on in life that he was uh, Jewish, because you know he'd grown up in this culture, and he, he was uh, saying, you know, he always wondered why his nose looked a little different. He looked a little different. And the kids would make fun of his nose and all. So there's there's cultural, you know, what am I doing in this culture? Because he he's he's Chilean, but yet he's also Jewish, and he's also from Eastern Europe. I mean, his family was. Right. So uh, there's that theme in his films of trying to find the authentic you mm-hmm. beyond culture, beyond the uh, social programming, uh, and, and utilizing art, Zen, and all that to, to, to find that. And I think, and, and I don't know if you'll agree with me or not, in his interviews, at least to me, he comes across as one of the most authentic uh, individuals. I I do agree, and I have to say, every time I've heard him speak, it's he seems to have such an open heart. I feel like I fall in love with him. Right, right. He's, I honestly he's, do. Yeah, very charismatic. I, and I would love to yeah, <laughs> be yeah. able to interview the yeah. man. Well, hopefully, somebody's watching that and said, "Please, yeah. you know, come come to come to New Mexico and talk." <laughs> well, maybe to you. I'll have to go to Paris or, yeah. or something, but it it would be well well worth it. Um, more history. Mm-hmm. Uh, after El Topo came out, he was celebrated as the great surrealist filmmaker, right. maybe after someone like Bunuel. And um, as I recall, it was John Lennon who arranged for financing of his next film right. and probably contributed quite a bit. John Lennon of the Beatles, mm-hmm. uh, The Magic Mountain. Yeah, Holy Mountain. Holy Mountain. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. And if anyone watches that today who knows just a tiny bit about alchemy, it is it is 
one of the most amazing films of the journey of, of somebody on a spiritual journey, alchemical journey. That, that movie has inspired so many people. Peter Gabriel, the musician, uh, wrote this, uh, the Gen- when he was with Genesis, uh, The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. That whole album was inspired by Holy Mountain. And it's about a person's journey through all these realms and uh, how, how the person becomes a better person, sometimes faced with certain trials and tribulations. And uh, modern uh, musicians like even the, the hard rock metal uh, 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 Marilyn Manson, very inspired uh, by the film. I, I still think it holds up mm-hmm. and the imagery in it. And the most, and I'm not going to ruin it for everybody because if you see it on video, the show it at the end, the ending is, is, you don't expect it, it to does. go it's there. It's a surprise yeah. ending. Yeah. It works beautifully. Yeah, and, it does. But, but of course, the, the today, based on all of the technology that goes into filmmaking, the films do look dated. Oh, sure. sure. But, but the scripts are amazing. Yeah. He's a fabulous writer. Uh-huh. Uh, ironically, I don't think he's ever been a major commercial success, which is probably why many of our viewers will not have heard of him. Uh, as I recall, after the Magic Mountain, like the major studios wouldn't touch him. He he wasn't able to finance films for decades. Right. And I think that's uh, right around the time when he was trying to make uh, uh, Dune. Uh, they, they were yes. going to do that. A wonderful documentary yeah. uh, called Yadorowski's Dune, the greatest science fiction movie that was never, never made. made. Yeah. I, I highly recommend that movie. I have recommended that movie to my fellow psychotherapist mm-hmm. simply because it shows what's possible. You know, we sometimes get stuck in a certain mindset, and that movie shows when you just allow open, you know, just allow, let's see, not make any clear, okay, we only want this and that, what can manifest mm-hmm. and how he put this amazing team of of artists and, and actors and some pretty strange personalities, but it also shows the absolute heartbreak of unlimited creativity being crushed due to financial uh, constraints and and yeah. political eventually kind of the studios uh, took the project uh, that he had the rights to make a mm-hmm. movie of mm-hmm. the great science fiction novel Dune and they gave it to Peter Lynch right who uh, who made I like Peter Lynch's version of David Dune. Lynch da- David Lynch right, David uh-huh. Lynch right yeah that that version of Dune is is nice but it I don't think it's quite what Yadorowski <laughs> would have done at all uh, but the point uh, of the documentary is that even though he never made the film it had a profound influence on George Lucas and other oh, filmmakers yeah. who came after him mm-hmm. yeah in uh, more modern films like Avatar that came out a few years back mm-hmm. you can see things from his storyboards that somehow just seem to show up yeah. in, in, in modern uh, more of the modern films and I would say the 80s science fiction that the whole genre Blade Runner the, the, the film some of the visuals and all that uh, Aliens all mm-hmm. came from from the work of him with these other artists that, yeah. that he recruited uh, yeah. it's a great film he, he had uh, if I recall recruited Pink Floyd yeah, yeah. he had recruited Salvador Dali <laughs> to play the Emperor yeah. and Dune. And uh, Orson Welles to, uh-huh. to, um, to play the, the Baron, I think. Yeah. And uh, he, he, he talked him into it. He says, how about this? If you'll do the movie, uh, your favorite restaurant, 
every night for dinner, I pick up the tab, whatever <laughs> you want, and, and he had agreed mm-hmm. to do it. So yeah. he has this persuasive, uh, like I say, charismatic presence. And everyone who's worked with him, that, that at least I've seen the interviews, say that he brings it out of you. He makes you want to, to, to open your mind mm. and become more creative. So it is it's fascinating to watch. He also wrote a very penetrating autobiography, mm-hmm. very revealing of uh, intimate aspects of, of his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, um, yes. And what I liked is he was very vocal about his failings and how they, you know, enhanced his life. But it's real easy for people to, in in autobiography, wallow in sorrow Mm -hmm. or to gloss over things. And I felt much like his movies, he he presented things in a balance. And Mm -hmm. he was quite uh, honest about a lot of the pain from his childhood, uh, his his horrible relationship with his parents, his Mm -hmm. uh, mother. Uh, became pregnant with him due to uh, a rape from the father. And so she always had a hard time loving him. And his father was so contentious, uh, there, he, he always felt like he was not wanted and even despised. Mm-hmm. And how he, his journey of working through that and the mistakes he made along the way. Yeah, he's brutally honest yeah, yeah. with himself. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Which I think have to call an admirable quality. Yeah. We could all do a little bit more with that. And on top of all of this, he was a deep student of the tarot. Yes, yes. He uh, he has written a couple of books about the the tarot, and he is uh, uses that in his uh, his uh, therapy work. For a long time, uh, he gave uh, free tarot readings, like every Wednesday at a cafe in Paris, and people could just walk in and. Uh, sit down and he would read their tarot. Now, he was not a fortune teller. He's real quick, says, I'm not a fortune teller. I tell them where you are now and, and these things mm-hmm. that led up to this. But he says, anyone who's telling you about the future with the cards, they're, they're maybe charlatans. And people would try to pay him. And all he would insist is that he offers their hand and they're to write with their finger, thank you, in his hand. That's all he wants. From that, so maybe a little giving back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, a lot of people have said that the tarot readings from uh, Odorowski was uh, a turning point in their life, and so he, he definitely, whatever you believe about the tarot, that interaction with him, it, it could be very transformational. And, and what intrigued me about his work with the tarot is, I understand uh, from his autobiography, he uh, originally began collecting all the different decks. Right. Uh, at one point, though, he realized that the original deck was the the Marseille t- yeah, right. tarot deck, and he, and he studied that deck exclusively, and he came to feel that there's something more authentic about the original deck. He threw out all of his other decks. Right, right. And I think he also uh, kind of recreated yes. that, you know, with his own take on it. And it's fascinating. I think you can buy those those. Decks. Yes, the Odorowski uh-huh. Marseille tarot deck. Uh-huh. And his uh, his work. Now, some people disagree with some of his conclusions, but it's a very thick book on tarot, and it's one of the uh, the ones that I've seen most thorough from a psychological and spiritual perspective. And a lot of the other books, particularly the the ones that are more for the uh, the beginner, uh, it's it not quite as dense. So you've really got to be in your into your tarot to to get through the book. There's a lot of gold in there. Mm-hmm. 
So he, when he throws himself into a project, he puts himself into it completely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, we haven't even talked about what he may be most well known for, especially in Europe, which uh, is when he found that he couldn't make films. He still had all of his creativity, and um, a filmmaker usually puts a storyboard together before they make a movie. Well, he had the equivalent of storyboards he turned into a a lengthy series of graphic novels. Indeed. And in in France in particular, the graphic novel is given, uh, I think unlike here in the United States, the same equal respect a lot of times Mm -hmm. as a regular novel and he's you know i don't know his finances but that he may have made even more money from from that he's very well known from that and in my opinion his work on some of those graphic novels uh and again these are usually adult oriented Mm -hmm. uh not pornographic but just you know kind of the spiritual quest some of the greatest uh graphic novels uh i think that's ever been done i i would have to agree with you i have a big collection i saw and it was (laughs) yeah i was made i made the joke i said no you might want to check that all these are still here because I'm putting them in the bag as I'm out the door. Mm-hmm. But they deal uh, quite a bit with spiritual themes in the context of, frankly, what we're living in, which is a high-tech, decadent culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's another, uh, uh, I think, thread that goes through a lot of his movies, too, is uh, what's surrounding someone. How does one become more or become who we really are when we're surrounded by so much of what we're not mm-hmm. because we tend to identify with out here instead of you know in here and uh, I think his work at the graphic novels the movies it's about learning to uh, it sounds cliche but transcend the uh, the limitations of, of what we think we are mm-hmm. uh, that have, may have been imposed due to where we've been born or who we've been born to in our families and to untangle ourselves. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I, you know, consider the his writing very profound, his filmmaking very profound, mm-hmm. his psychotherapy work very mm-hmm. profound, his work with the tarot very profound, his understanding of mystical and occult traditions vastly surpassing that of any other filmmaker. I, I would agree with that. Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, as, as a therapist, his um, psychomagic work was very inspirational mm-hmm. to me, even though I probably would not do some of the things uh, that he's done, very extreme. Uh, but uh, it got me thinking in a different way. And what psychomagic is, is your client or patient comes in with a problem. And what he realized is much like forerunners like Freud and Young and so forth realized that a lot of it's in our unconscious. And we represent things in the unconscious symbolically, his view. So rather than try to do a conscious change, giving people tasks that symbolically represent what they're going through to have them unchain themselves from that, but sometimes they don't understand the task. Uh, sometimes it's, it's, it's so out there that it causes their consciousness to shift because it's something so beyond what they would normally do. He found that people could break through those chains of the past and then start to create new lives. He felt so much of people's problems were due to sometimes generational patterns mm-hmm. that we unconsciously have uh, have bought into or been 
given to us. So, you know, a lot of uh, his psychomagic work is in the realm of rituals, uh, which he, he studied with a uh, a Mexican uh, shaman or a curandero, as they're called, named Pachita. And she would do uh, kind of like the Filipino uh, culture would do the, uh, the uh, psychosurgery. Right. But he realized that it wasn't real, but she created such a uh, an performance that it made the person go into these emotional states and the representation of taking the heart out and putting a new one in, which is is that we can do that, but with a butter knife and candles, it's probably not going to happen. But it made the brain symbolically, you're leaving the old you and you're bringing in the new you. And that, uh, along with Erickson's work and and, and, uh, Young's work, I think, really got him to thinking that we, we don't need to dialogue over and over. We need to create some kind of action, symbolic action, that will uh, almost reset the person to where they feel free to start new. Now, you talked earlier about his family constellation work. I think at one point you even suggested he could be considered one of the originators of uh, family constellation uh, therapy. But his work, I think it's a little different because it deals with the whole question of uh, our genetic ancestry and DNA. Right. And and that element of of spirituality Mm -hmm. where he he views, where a lot of people like in traditional depth psychotherapy, they we have a conscious and then there's the sub or unconscious. And then if you're young, you can go down to the collective consciousness. Kind of it's all metaphorically, it's down in these depths. Odorowski uh, is always, it goes up. Your unconscious is a part of universal consciousness mm-hmm. as opposed to uh, the, the Jungian, uh, it's the terms are sometimes slightly different. But that you're going back generation after generation down to the, the, the genes and, and, and when you do these, these sometimes strange interactions and rituals, he believes that it can transform things from the past that have long ended, which creates new beginnings in the future. Now, you know, we can debate those kind of things, but it's, yeah. a, it's a, but I think he would be the first to say, it's all a metaphor, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I don't think he takes uh, life as a literal representation because everything to him is symbolic. And if we realize that everything is symbolic, we have more power because mm-hmm. we can change the symbols. Real life itself yeah, right. is a dream. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, you know, you want to wake up for I don't know if he wants to wake us up for the dream or or improve the dream that we're or, or through the dream yeah through the, yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah remarkable Let's guy move through the yeah. dream well i uh, obviously you and i both share a great love for for this man i think of him as is certainly one of the greatest living geniuses today on the, on the planet uh, who deserves wider recognition so i I'm, I'm so heartened to be able to share this conversation with you and with our viewers oh i do too and thanks for for having this space to share his work and uh, i think the more that people dive in there with an open mind because you got to have an open mind i think the richer they'll be Well, Paul, thank you so much once again for being with me and having this conversation. My pleasure. And thank you for being with us. 